So tonight my talk is about the uh, two guardians of the world, the two guardians of the world. And these two guardians exist within our own hearts and minds. And they are the cause of inner beauty. So I'd like to start with an overview of our practice here and the trajectory of our practice. All the teachings that we've been practicing here together have been supporting us towards what is called the goal of the holy life, which the Buddha called the unshakable deliverance of mind and heart. Sometimes it's talked about as the sure heart's release, the sure heart's release. And these practices that we're doing are all awareness, all mindfulness practices that lead to liberation step by step. Manindraji, one of my teachers, summed up the teachings by calling them the three pillars of the Dharma. And in our practice and in the world and on the cushion, we need to pay attention to every single one of these three pillars or else it's like a a three-legged stool that only has two legs, you know, and it gets kind of wobbly. So we need to have all three of these operative in our heart, minds, in the world, on the cushion, uh, because they are the foundation for the holy life, this um, sure heart's release. So these are the three pillars. Uh, They are dana, or the pillar of generosity, or pillar of giving, and I'll fill that out. And then sila, Sila is another awareness practice, just as generosity is an awareness practice, so is sila. Sila is living a life of um, morality, a life that is um, in harmony with one's highest values and in harmony with the values of the community around. So this is sila, the second part. And the third part is called bhavana. Bhavana has two parts to that. It's the development of the heart and mind in concentration and also in wisdom. So just filling those out a little bit uh, this evening, but I'm going to um, fill more out around the subject of sila, or living in harmony with our own highest values and values of the community. So dana... Uh, dana means giving, actually. Um, it's giving with a heart of generosity. So the outer manifestation of that generosity of the heart is dana, is giving. So those two go together. When there's an inner attitude of kindness and compassion with that giving, it's not just a willy-nilly kind of giving or a thoughtless kind of giving, but it's really connected with a genuine feeling in the heart to alleviate suffering or to create happiness or to create a sense of stability in another person's life or even one's own life. You know, there's giving to oneself too. So this is where we are able to share our resources so that we have this connection with people around us, our family, the community, humanity. And in this way, uh, 
the Buddha started here with this uh, practice and this teaching of giving because we begin to have a very stable uh, sense of ourselves in connection with others. So this also helps to weaken the inner forces of grasping, of craving and clinging, attachment, and the desires that are so habitual that we can't even see that they're leading to uh, destruction of our greatest, our highest values. So this is Dana. Sila is the second pillar. This is another awareness practice. When we become aware of what causes harm uh, to, to others in our life through our speech and behavior, uh, what causes harm through our uh, speech and behavior so that we become much more sensitive to how we're speaking and how we're acting. And, and we see that here also in our time together in community like this. We, come, we become much more sensitive to what the culture is here. And we want to protect this culture, for example, of silence and being a kind kind of having uh, our own inner guide that allows us to take care of ourselves and not to always need to reach out, but reaching out when we need to also. So sila is uh, being aware of behavior that causes harm and refraining from that. And being uh, aware of behavior that causes benefit and going forth with that. So these two awareness practices have to do with living in the world on a relational level, on this relative level of being a part of the community, connecting with community, connecting with humanity, so that uh, we, we, we notice when we're not harmonizing And when we're not harmonizing, we really take a look at what's going on within us that makes us act out or speak out in that way. So these two basic practices of dana and sila lay a very stable foundation for the development of the last practice, the third one, which is the development of bhavana, the cultivation of the mind and the heart. So bhavana, uh, in bhavana we practice samatha or concentration practices as uh, those have been taught here. We also, uh, through, through the cultivation of concentration, we carry that concentration over to our moment-to-moment practice of vipassana so that in that kind of concentration, uh, which is not on one object, but on many objects, changing objects, we start to learn and to integrate more deeply the understanding of the three universal characteristics. Understanding uh, anicca or impermanence on a very deep level, understanding the empty nature of self on a very deep level, and also understanding uh, dukkha, what causes suffering in ourselves and in the world. So it's good to understand the importance of all three pillars 
practicing and integrating them in our lives gives, gives us a sense of confidence. I know when I'm feeling that I'm in harmony with my surroundings, with how I treat human beings, uh, in my speech and behavior, and the world, you know, as, as sort of a being itself, how I'm kind of um, treating the environment, that this is something that goes along with my understanding of sila and also of dana. So it's good to practice all of these because it gives us a better chance of experiencing deep inner peace when the mind is um, willing to let go of places in the heart that are holding on or pushing away. Um, this, this is part of our practice so that we settle down deep inside and we're able to see things at many levels in an intimate way and in a way that starts to allow us to live in alignment with how things are instead of kind of fighting it uh, through our habit patterns. So through these practices, uh, we learn to navigate the challenges and the beauty of living in this life, in this relational life, so that we learn how to enjoy the beauty of life, but not hang on to it, not in um, just want it always to last or to look for it all the time, so that we're kind of chasing after pleasant experiences all the time. But we're able to be with things as they are, to see things as they are and to be with things as they are so that our lives can live in alignment with this movement, this river that Temple talked about last night so beautifully, this movement of life through us and around us. In the time of the Buddha, he would offer the teachings in a gradual way. So often it's called the gradual teachings, starting with the teaching of dana, so that we learn to let go more easily by sharing. Uh, we learn to establish connection with the community so that everyone feels safe, and therefore we also feel safe. And then uh, he would call that the beginning of spiritual awakening to actually begin with the practice of generosity. It's also the first of the paramis, the first of the beautiful qualities of mind, which also lead to all the other beautiful qualities. Because it has letting go involved in that, really letting go. Uh, The other evening, Beth had um, beautiful examples of letting go in her talk and uh, saying that Letting go really in the Dharma is all about letting go of greed, hatred, and delusion. Those three things, that purification of the mind and the heart. So from Dana, the Buddha would proceed to offer teachings of living in harmony through um, really living in in adherence to uh, the non-harming precepts that we take, here and uh, often here in retreat. I think tomorrow we'll be taking the precepts again. So these are a basis uh, for our practice so that we can move on to 
and, and deepen into this practice of bhavana, really understanding what's going on in our minds and hearts at really deep levels. So this third pillar, bhavana, means cultivation. So cultivation of what? It's basically, in vipassana, it's cultivation of vipassana, seeing things as they really are. That's what vipassana means. And we're able to do that because we bring a concentrated mind to changing experiences. So bhavana is also the cultivation of beautiful states of mind, like the four Brahma-viharas that help us along the way. In retreat here, they help us through difficult times. In our life at home, help us in difficult times. Being able to uh, have a default setting of metta, of loving-kindness, or being able to offer compassion to ourselves, to another. This uh, metta that turns to suffering becomes compassion. To be able to experience joy, which really helps us in our lives have a kind of more deep abiding in whatever is going on. And not hold on to that joy, but to enjoy it while it's there, but also to see it change and to let it go when it goes. So we learn to open with more kindness and natural intentionality with all these trainings that we have here. This is kind of an overview of what we're doing. It transforms our uh, lives where we're so deeply entrenched, we see when we come here to some default settings that automatically speak out or act out. And we learn to notice when it isn't useful and hold back or refrain and to let it be offered if it's useful, to refrain from anything that's harmful. And we can do that more readily because we know ourselves. We know our own minds more and more. So we're learning these skill sets that are leading to the release of patterns that cause harm and to the cultivation of patterns that cause benefit to ourselves. This is um, the basic teaching of the Buddha when somebody asks the Buddha at one time, what is your basic teaching? What what is it that you offer? And uh, he replied something I'm paraphrasing. Offering the teachings of how to develop good qualities of mind and how to see when there are unwholesome qualities and refrain from those qualities uh, of acting them out. But putting forth those qualities that give benefit. So knowing what gives benefit and going there with that benefit in our thoughts, in our speech, behavior. Knowing what causes harm and not going there. Refraining. And also developing the mind and the heart. So those are the three basic things that the Buddha teaches. And it's every one of his teachings is in one of those categories. So I want to read something to you from the Majjhima Nikaya. It's a simile of the heartwood. It's um, number 30 in the Majjhima. And the Buddha was talking to a group of Brahmins. So this holy life, Brahmins, 
does not have gain, honor, and renown for its benefit, or the attainment of virtue for its benefit, or the attainment of concentration for its benefit, or knowledge and vision for its benefit. But it is this unshakable deliverance of mind that is the goal of the holy life, its heartwood and its end. So this sometimes is called the sure heart's release. It's the letting go, the purification of greed, hatred, and delusion that in our hearts and minds that we're practicing here. So that what remains is a heart and mind that's generous, that's kind and wise. And these are qualities that, of course, we can work with that are so beneficial in our lives. So here, um, we're able to sit and listen to Dharma talks, be around people who are inspiring our fellow yogis. Um, I I feel very um, honored and it's a great gift in my life to be around people with beautiful hearts and minds like you all and also my colleagues. And with some of my colleagues that are older than me, um, like Joseph... <laughs> I've been around Joseph a lot. I see that even as he ages and the body does its thing and he's um, you know, not as active and things happen in health, and, uh, but his heart gets more and more beautiful. And the hearts of those uh, of my other teachers that I've seen grow elderly, it's such an inspiration to me to see that beauty, inward beauty, inner beauty that comes out so beautifully. And uh, that's what I know my own life is headed towards. And I feel like I'm on that path. So it's okay to, you know, see the body do its thing. So there's a confidence in knowing that a person with inner beauty knows the way that leads to freedom and refrains from ways that lead to the opposite, that leads to more holding on or uh, aversion that isn't caught in time. So in the ancient texts, it describes one of the characteristics of this uh, sila, or virtuous conduct, It's called harmonizing. It's harmonizing in two levels or two areas of our lives. Living in harmony and being aware of one's highest inner values. And what what self-integrity means. You know, on a relational level, there is a sense of self. So what does integrity mean to each one of us on this level? What's our highest inner value? This is something we start to recognize when we come into a retreat such as this, when there's a lot of time for inner reflection, what's going on in our hearts and minds, and seeing really what do we value? Is it something outside of ourselves, or is it the way that we can uh, tune into 
something that's wholesome in our hearts. And we can also know what isn't wholesome, so we can refrain from that. So often um, I can come across people who don't even think about what is their highest value in life. So when I came across this in the very beginning for myself, I knew that, oh, we're so busy in life, I can understand why a lot of people don't ever ponder on that. But here and in retreat, uh, when I was younger, I really thought, what what do I value? It's, it's uh, harmony with others, but also harmony with my own highest values. So the second um, level of harmonizing in our lives is living in harmony with the values of our community so that we know when our community values um, being able to be together in a sense of safety, that we're careful with our words and with our actions so that we're able to give that gift of safety to everyone around us. So these two together, this living in harmony with our highest inner values and living in harmony with the values of our community, this is called the bliss of blamelessness, where we we really have... a more deepening establishing of uh, the sense of that we won't harm anyone. And people really feel that when they're around us, have really a sense of that gift that we're giving. It leads to a deeper sense of well-being when this is happening within a community or uh, just in oneself. So this is from the Anguttara Nikaya, also the words of the Buddha. And what is this happiness of blamelessness? Here the householder, a noble disciple, is endowed with blameless bodily, verbal, and mental action. When one thinks, I am endowed with blameless bodily, verbal, and mental action, one experiences happiness and joy. This is called the happiness or bliss of blamelessness. This is said to be the cornerstone upon which the Eightfold Noble Path is built upon, which is speech and conduct free from harm. So this kind of conduct, as you notice, um, because we're in silence here, it composes the mind. It makes the mind as if, um, you know, we were, when we come in, it's as if we're a glass of water that's all shaken with um, soil and soot inside. And in time, that soil and soot uh, kind of relaxes out and seeps, settles at the bottom so that there's a lot more clarity in that, uh, in the pond of the mind, in in the, area inside of ourselves, we see it's so quiet that we can see what's going on at deeper and deeper levels. I remember times of, you know, hurrying up and trying to get to a retreat and um, not being so good with my behavior of 
being short-tempered sometimes. I'm better now, but Sharon always reminds, she reminded me, when you give a talk and you expose your limitations, be sure to say that was before. (laughs) It's different now. (laughs) So, So people won't have loser faith in the Dharma. So it, it really is uh, better than it was 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Um, but I'd be in such a hurry to, to get to the retreat and kind of quickly fixing things at home, making sure there's you know some frozen food in the refrigerator that people, children could just um, uh, have when I was gone and just hurrying around and harsh speech. And when I would get to the retreat, um, my mind wouldn't settle right away. It would just be thinking about, oh, you know, are they okay? I know I, I had some harsh speech before I left and maybe hurt one of their feelings and et cetera. So I see the big difference then when I'm really preparing to go to a retreat, I'm really careful, much more careful about my preparation, even in my own heart and mind, not just in the household things to do. Um, So tumultuous mind, when we come to retreat, takes a long time to settle down compared to times when there's peace because the mind is composed from uh, non-harming So the Dharma places a great deal of importance on sila as a starting point even before practicing meditation. So I I like to um, always use the words of the Buddha. So this is from another um, Nikaya, the Samyutta Nikaya. When a bhikkhu or a, a practitioner like ourselves approached the Buddha and asked, let the Blessed One teach me the Dharma in, be, in brief. And the Blessed One answered, Well then, Bhikkhu, cultivate the very starting point of wholesome states. And what is the starting point of wholesome states? Virtue that is well purified and view that is straight. View that, that is straight means seeing clearly which leads to peace and which leads to um, suffering. Then when your virtue is well purified and your view straight, based upon virtue, established upon virtue, you should then develop the four foundations or establishments of mindfulness. So in those times before, it it appears through the suttas that the Buddha taught dana and sila first. Uh, The ability to let go, to not hold on, (laughs) was dana then the ability to live in harmony so that our minds could be more composed and harmonizing with our highest values and the values of the community. And then when we could go to practice and start meditating, then we would um, be able to go deeply in, in our practice. There's a being in the Dharma for quite a while now, and being around a lot of my elders, um, uh, the monastic ones, I would hear them be around when they would see somebody come in to the monastery or to the 
forest um, practice center that I would go to and make a comment about that person's sila, that person's kind of living in harmony with their their own hearts. And uh, they would say something like, oh, that person will experience the Dharma, you know, like it easy, more easily. So um, in different ways, they would say that. So I realized, and the, would have the paramis, you know, the beautiful paramis developed and also being able to uh, stay with the precepts of non-harming. So it was really... Um, it was really an admonition to me to really be careful uh, about those areas. But in my own life, there were times when I knew I had to clean up my act, you know, certain areas where things weren't so um, so pure inside of my, uh, my own heart that I needed to have a more refined sensitivity to speech and to my behavior. Maybe one of the precepts would stand out to me, and I would hone in on that particular precept and really, really pay attention to one of them. Um, So that even, I live um, in a place where there's a lot of, I'm going to give you an example of that. I live in a place where there's a lot of fruit trees, just... Um, all over the place and you take a walk on a street and you could pass like an avocado tree banana trees papaya trees that their fruits just falling over you know from from the garden that you walked by and there was a time when I would say oh this is just on the street this is you know it fell on the street so this is I can take this but then I got really really sensitive to how was that affecting my um, my own heart? So I really started to say, no, I I can't take that because it wasn't really offered. It belongs to that tree, so to say, and so or that family that owns that tree. And so it was really helpful for me to do that because I realized that it really helped me to weaken the greed part of my heart, you know, so it would purify that attachment or greed or that wanting mind that went for things that weren't necessary. So refraining from uh, harming others doesn't mean just harm that you could see from outwardly, you know, that they would get hurt by your words or maybe by an action, behavior, but they would get hurt, um, your own heart would get hurt. It would be harming your own heart in a way. And I remember sometimes Manindra telling me, he would be around when I was raising children, and he would say something like, oh, can you be more gentle not for the children's sake, but for your own heart's sake. So when we get quite sensitive to this, we're willing to let all the parts of our hearts and minds be known so we can see really where, where can we be more sensitive here. One of the other areas was the area of speech, 
honesty and speech. So I, I hope I didn't tell this story here. Um, sometimes I forget where I'm at. <laughs> um, anyway, I'll tell it again. So there was this first uh, time I went to a month-long retreat. And uh, so we did our first a little group check-in with the teacher, Sayadaw Pandita. And I heard all the stories or the check-ins from the yogis around me one by one, and I was one of the last or maybe the last one. And they were saying things about, oh, you know, it's fine, can be on the breath for a long time, no sleepiness, no restlessness. And I was thinking, wow, I'm in the wrong group. And I don't, I don't think I could report that. And so it, when it came to me, I just said what was happening. So that evening, or the next time the Sayadaw, the teacher, gave a talk, uh, he said something like, when you come in for letting me know ex- what's happening in your practice, please pr- be honest and precise and exact because you really need to tell the truth of exactly how it is. And what we had to report is we had to take one single snippet of a sitting or a walking and report exactly what happened there. And we had five minutes to give that report and five minutes to get an answer, uh, what to do with it. So it was a very precise way of giving a report. And it was really helpful for the teacher because he knew exactly uh, where you were at in your practice just by doing that simple thing. But if you didn't give that kind of report, then the teacher wouldn't know exactly what's happening. So when um, he gave his talk, he said, you really have to be honest and precise And then the next sentence really hit my heart, said, how can you experience the truth if you don't tell the truth? And so that that was really like, because I would think little fibs are okay and, you know, all of that, not being really precise, saying, oh, there were a lot of people there, but really there were a few, you know, something like that. So really started to look at how I was speaking, even in those ways in daily life. And it really helped me to see generally uh, life more clearly and precisely when being able to sit down and watch the mind, you know, notice what's going on there. So the next, um, so the Sayadaw said in that talk, tomorrow, all of you who didn't say the truth, I want you to line up next to my uh, place and I want you to tell me and ask per, and ask for forgiveness not for me to i you know he was very okay you know it's not that he's going to punish you or something but it was more like tell the truth for your own heart's sake and and it's really it's really not good to tell a lie to a, a monastic it's like oh don't ever do that because <laughs> i mean that's how i grew up in the dharma it's like be really careful, and you're you're really supposed to ask for forgiveness anyway for those who have taken on the robes and taken that much renunciation. So, for your own sake, he said, ask for forgiveness. So, um, I really thought, what did I say? How did I say it? Was I really 
did I say anything that was an exaggeration or that? And no. So I was able to not get in the line and be, I was relieved at that. So it's said that the causes for this careful attention to arise are known as the two guardians of the world. So this is what I'm leading up to in this talk, to understand what are those two guardians of the world and how do they give us signals from the, inwardly from our own heart to be really careful with um, staying committed to our highest values. So I realize this is the light of, the, of inner beauty. And this inner beauty that we have in the Dharma is something that no one can take away from us. No matter what anyone says or does or even uh, when our life is taken away from us, these inner beauties stay with us to carry on to the next uh, rebirth of consciousness. So it's very important to be really clear about what our highest values are. So these guardians are not like spirit guides, like outer guardians or our ancestors that, you know, by their uh, con- our connection with them give us help, divine spirits. These are inner guardians. And in the ancient Pali language, they have uh, these two names, Hiri and Otapa. And... Um, I'll just spell them for those of you people ask. So I'll go ahead and spell Hiri is H-I-R-I and Otapa is O-T-T-A-P-P-A. So I want to expand the meaning of these, um, what they mean, uh, because it, it has some real significance in how we, we can be aware of them uh, when they arise and how actually doing the practice empowers them. There are potentialities in our own heart and they're being empowered by the commitment we make and our carrying out of that commitment. They're uh, more empowered. So Hiri is not translated very well into the English language, so I want to give you an expansion of that. The English language translation is moral shame. So you can imagine why that's not such a a good mm, translation. So the translation uh, is inadequate because in English it's something like connected to self-aversion or some toxic self-aversion. But in the Dhamma, the definition is not associated with that, with self-aversion. I want to read to you from this our American Buddhist monk who's one of the foremost translators of these texts, uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi. And in English, he translates, translates Hiri as a personal sense of conscience, an internal reference, an inner sense that our words or behavior don't feel right. So this is a healthy form of sensitivity an intuitive sense that what we might say or do is hurtful to oneself. That means we kind of know it's not a good thing to say or or do because this state of mind that is associated with our action or our speech 
is um, tainted with one of the defilements, greed, hatred, or delusion. So we hold back during those times. But if it's with the opposite, generosity, love, and wisdom, then we go forth with that action or those words. So this sensitivity is protecting our commitment to integrity, protecting our commitment to self-respect. And this is a really important intuitive sense that we might have. I don't know if you have felt a, a, a time even here in your practice when you felt like maybe an action or speaking to someone would be like, oh, that's not what is the right thing to do right now. And so we kind of hold back from that. And when we hold back in a way of hiri, it means that we are respecting our sense of commitment. We're respecting our own integrity then. So when we refrain or shrink away from saying or doing something, we know that um, that kind of upholds our integrity. I'll give you an example. Um, when I'm in a conversation with someone else, and it's usually someone I'm very familiar with, with, and a thought that's accompanied by ill will comes up, and I know that it's just about to fall out of my mouth, you know, because I'm so comfortable maybe with that person or with my own, you know, um, default settings. <laughs> I, I might silently remind myself when I'm, I know that that's going to happen, don't go there. It's, it's just, it's a gentle kind of warning to myself I, to refrain, to, I, I can hear myself, not with words, but <clears throat> with an inner sense of don't go there just kind of hold back. Um, And how Manindra would say to me, don't feed that habit pattern because it just strengthens it every time you feed it. But when you don't feed it, it starts weakening that habit pattern. So there's some sense in the mind or the body that it doesn't feel good to go there. Um, I was raised by a Filipino mother and my stepfather also Filipino, and there was it was a, you know a big deal not to talk back to your elders, and um, <clears throat> there was a lot of it continues to be a lot of respect for elders in the culture, and so uh, one time I talked back to my mother, and I'm I'm not ashamed to say this that my mother would put soap in my mouth you know, when that would happen. And it would be like, wake up, don't say that again. But then in times when I grew up and um, when I became a teenager and I would say things back to her that were said in a disrespectful way, my mother would say in her uh, accent, roll that those words around in your mouth a hundred times before they come out of your mouth. Because I would be just like, right away. But I learned, you know, from my mother's uh, way of disciplining, which I'm grateful for, to be really careful about my words. And also um, knowing that it kind of feeds those patterns now as I came into the Dharma. I really want to be careful about them. 
So I'm better at it now, but um, it's still work to do. Like Manindra would say, my path is not yet finished, and that's true for me too. So sometimes I got this sense of um, when I would say the wrong thing and, or at the wrong time or say it without sensitivity, I would just have this sense of, I guess there was, I don't know, some, what, what is that, um, duct tape around you know, and I would think, gee, I should put that on my mouth sometimes. And um, so I started to call that Dharma duct tape time, you know, when I really needed to get that out and when I was really trying to hold back from what I wanted to say because it, it would just make things more a mess in my house or with, a, you know, a close relation of mine. So this hiri is an intuitive sense of shrinking away from harming what? Harming one's own karmic stream. Because every time that uh, pattern goes back into the stream, it's going to come up again, you know, to be handled again and again and again, unless we refrain from putting that seed back into the stream. And every time there's awareness of unwholesome states of mind, those unwholesome states of mind are weakened. But when they just kind of let go, uh, let go into speech or action, then they're strengthened. And they're just always being fed. So here is respect for one's own dignity, one's own integrity, a deep care for long-term well-being. And if um, for myself... It's even through a well-being through multi-lives. Just don't want to carry that into another consciousness, into another life. So sometimes we deeply know that if we let the default settings of our behavior and speech happen, it'll be the cause of cringing moments, regretful moments, and tightening of the heart. So I read in the Path of Purification one of the great commentaries of the teachings, there's a simile of how hiri is experienced. It's like we are just about to grab an iron, a hot iron rod, and we see that it's smeared with, this iron rod is smeared with excrement. And upon realizing that, we shrink away in disgust. So it's not disgust in a, in an unwholesome way, it's disgust for the defilements. Because we can see that if we go there, that it's what, what we're taking with us or what we're holding on to is the defilement. So one time when I, when I was practicing in the, at this forest center in Burma, it was after a very difficult time with a very close uh, friend of mine And in the practice, the mind just kept going over and over again. A lot of commentary, a lot of what we call, um, you know, papancha, proliferation of thoughts around what happened. And there was blame, wanted blame to blame back, what I was going to say the next time I would see this person. And a lot of twinges. Every time it would come up, there would be these twinges of disgust, like, oh, don't go there, don't touch that. And that would be, when I read this um, simile in the Path of Purification, it was just like that. Because you you don't want to go there because 
it's smeared with something that's unwholesome. So I noticed that shrinking away. It was like my mind saying, danger. There's danger here because if you get near it, you'll get all embroiled in it and it's not going to help your practice. So when I went to uh, the teacher, the teacher said, when you sense this pattern arising, withdraw your energy from the pattern. So it was like this shrinking away, this kind of stepping back from the pattern, not to feed it. So later I asked him, it seems that this is aversion, but it seems wholesome to shrink away. And that's when I learned, um, he gave a Dharma talk shortly after that, that about Hiriyotapa, that Hiri is a, a wholesome state of mind. It's an inner guardian. It helps us shrink away from action that will cause harm, speech that will cause harm, to our own karmic stream. So, as he says, Hiri or shame is a feeling of disgust towards the kilesas, the defilements. As you try to be mindful, you'll find that there are gaps during which the hindrances pounce on you and make you their victim. Returning to your senses, you feel a kind of abhorrence at being caught off guard. This attitude uh, is called Hiri one of the two guardians of the world. So that's Hiri. And the other guardian is called Otapa. And the direct English translation, very inadequate again, is moral dread or moral fear. So this moral dread or fear is not a defilement. This is a healthy sense of social conscience. Whereas Hiri has an internal reference, Otapa has an external reference. It's a consideration and respect for others. This is a healthy fear or concern of doing something blamable, it's said in the, in the ancient texts, that our speech and behavior could be harmful to others and we would be blamed. And... Um, It's a wise sense of respecting the communal standards because by being blamed, it's like then we're outside. We're not in the group. We're not include. We don't feel that the group is safe around us. So we want to uphold and respect the standards of harmony within the community, within our family. This comes from an awareness of our the impact we might make. Sometimes we think our intention is okay, uh, but it had an impact that was not okay. Well, nowadays, it's really important to notice when the impact is not okay. And really, you know, see, even if our, we think our intention or our intention is really pure and it's not okay with the group that we're in, to find out how it was for that person or that group and see if we can find better strategies or ways to um, say or do the right thing uh, in a way that is in harmony with our, uh, our communal standards. It said that a community is as fragile as one person's unconscious or unwholesome speech or behavior. 
So we might fear that uh, a member of the community, especially those we respect or revere, would lose their respect for us. So sometimes I reflect, what would my teachers think if I were to say or do something that would be disharmonious in a group? Um, So it's really that the proximate cause for this moral fear to arise is respect for others. And the proximate cause for hiri to arise is respect for ourselves. So Manindra used to say, there is an inner signal um, which is actually wise discernment, this inner signal comes, that something is forming in the mind and it's a signal to be careful, be careful what you say, be careful what you're going to do because maybe it's not the right time or it's connected with a kilesa or defilement in the mind. So it's telling us that uh, we have to be careful with uh, when Hiri comes up because we want to have respect for ourselves. We learn to be careful when otapa comes up because we have this inner sense of respect for others. So Hiri and Otapa is greatly supported by our awareness because we have to know what is attending or accompanying our speech and our action. We have to look at the mind. We have to be aware of not just, uh, you know, what we're doing with our hands, but what the mind state is when we're doing that or with our speech. Like Utejaniya says, it's, it's not just about the object out there, like maybe hearing or seeing or smelling or tasting. It's what the mind is doing with that. So we need to come back to the mind and take a look at the mind also. What's going on in the mind in relationship to what's going on out there or a particular sense store object? So a friend, a dear friend told me that she had an interaction where she felt betrayed uh, by something uh, her sister did, and she wanted to lash out at this um, sibling of hers. But she saw what was going on in her mind and decided not to do it at that time because there's a lot of anger and ill will and not seeing clearly, just uh, confused inside. So she didn't want to hurt herself she didn't want to hurt the other by uh, saying or doing something at that time. So she realized that there was hiri, the respect for herself, that respect preserving the dignity of her own heart, and also that otapa, the respect for her sibling. When she waited to speak with her sister at another time, she could look back then and uh, have a sense of doing the right thing and feeling that her heart was settled around it. So no reverberations. So before, during, and after, there was um, a, a sense of being present with what was going on inside of her, when to say or do something, when to refrain. So the Buddha would call this virtuous conduct as non-remorse as its aim and non-remorse as its benefit. 
so that um, when you uh, when your when your actions are virtuous, you don't have to have that shakiness of the mind that's remorseful, and um, it benefits all others around as well. So this is a beautiful form of renunciation that really enables us to go more deeply in our practice of liberation here. It's the um, ability to really see deeply uh, in our hearts and our minds places of uh, when Hiriyotapa comes up that we pay attention to that. Be careful with our speech and our behavior. And here it's with, you know, we luckily we're in silence. People feel a lot of this a sense of feeling clean when we leave a retreat, that's the feeling I feel, is because we didn't have to speak so much or not at all. You know, and um, so there's a lot of renunciation of speech that might be harmful to our own karmic stream, just holding back those um, defilements that are going to be acted out. It's said that when a defilement comes into the heart and mind and it's noticed, it's weakened. When a defilement comes and, and it's acted upon, it's strengthened. So there's more karma, karmic residue when we speak or act uh, with um, defilements in the mind. So it's really important to purify the mind that way, by renunciation. So it helps our minds to be really more at ease and more clear. want to read this from our grandfather teacher, Mahasi Seadao, and um, who was really clear and is strict in a good way uh, because he's, he really kind of, in a way, put my hair on fire with the Dharma and really wanted to pay attention um, to my life and to my heart. So Mahasi Seadao says, you should protect your morality with great care, just as you would protect your very life. You should not be negligent about your behavior, thinking you can correct it later. You might die at any time. Morality is especially important for those who are practicing meditation. They should even honor and respect it more than their lives and keep it fully purified. If you purposely and properly purify your morality, then you will have a clear conscience every time you reflect about your meditation practice. So finally from the Buddha, this magnificent chariot of the Eightfold Noble Path has Hiri and Otapa as its backrest. If you have this backrest, you will have something to rely on something to depend on, something on which you can sit comfortably as you travel towards your aspiration. If these qualities are weak, one risks losing mindfulness and all the dangers that ensue. So let's let the words settle down, dissolve, and just be with our own bodies and minds here. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.